So hi, Ben. What was your first computer? My first computer was uh, an old Macintosh computer. Um, I forget what, what model it was, but I got it, I think, in the mid-1990s. My dad got it off an old friend that he worked with. Okay. I don't remember the reason why he got it, uh, but, yeah, that was the, the first one I got. It didn't do a lot. I remember just had a mouse and a keyboard, and it was a big clunky box, okay. box thing. But, yeah, it was quite old. And it was in Australia? Yeah, that's right, in Australia. Um, yeah, that was the first computer I got. The first PC I got, I think, was a few years after that. Was a, I think it was a Pentium 2-powered uh, computer, I think, okay. in the late 90s, and that one had like the Microsoft Office suite on it. I got a few games with it as well and music. And that was one that I guess had a bit more power than the Mac one that we used for, for quite a few things. So that was probably the first first real computer that I had that I could actually use for something okay. other than just looking at. So what you did with the Mac? Just displayed games or? Yeah, I don't really remember. I think it was just for a few games and my dad might have used some word processing on it, mm -hmm. but I don't think it had very many games on it at all. Um, so I don't, I don't think that really interested me until I got, Got the PC quite a few years later. Okay. So then you switched to PC, and uh, Pentium 2 was actually, I guess, it was around 1998 or something like this, right? Yeah, yeah, it was around that time. Um, the big, big old um, CRT monitors and the big clunky keyboard and mice, and um, yeah, I think it was around, yeah, 1998, around that time. Was it a color, color monitor, or was it green or ruby? Uh, yeah, it was color. Um, it was a pretty low resolution, as you'd expect yeah. back in those days. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, Carla just, yeah, ran Windows 95, I think it was back then. I don't think we had 98. I think it was 95. I remember my CRT monitor was around, I think the resolution was 800 by 600, I think. I think it was already the highest spec, you know. There was uh, the 640 or 480 was normal one. I think my could manage to 800 by 600, something like this. This was days. What I also remember back then, if we wrote software, we wrote the software for a particular resolution. And we had to migrate. Oh, wow. Yeah, we had to migrate the user interfaces, the Java user interfaces, uh, from one resolution to another. This is what I really remember. They said, "Okay, now we had you no know, thousand twenty-four by seven hundred sixty-eight." This is why I remember still the numbers. And uh, then uh, we had to migrate to a different resolution and see whether it still works. So it was funny times, actually. Wow, that sounds like a lot of work. And yeah, these days you, you just make make it responsive and use some frameworks and stuff. But yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, uh, and uh, it was really hard to convince the people in the enterprise to you know that uh, it is not not useful to to have a pixel uh, pixel perfect design, but uh, you know the um, the wisdom came later that it's not a really great idea to have a pixel based design, and now it's normal. Back then it was like uh, somehow dirty. People you know expect to have a perfect pixel design for everything. So okay, so what you did with the PC? Yeah. I think it was mostly playing games. Um, I think I was in high school around that time. Um, would have been, yeah, 13, 14, 15 years old. Okay. And then I, f I think I first got into programming using that that computer that I learned, um, I guess, the basics of programming back in, in high school around that time. And then I think I used that computer when I got home to, to study and then sort of start my first computer programming outside of school on that. So okay. that's where it started. What games did you play? I think the main one I played was uh, Time Crisis, which was one of those games that um, you'd go play in the arcade and you'd, you know, you'd get one of those little plastic guns and shoot, shoot the bad guys. Um, I think SimCity 2000 might have also been on that computer. Okay. Um, I enjoyed that sort of city building game um, that was pretty popular around that time. They're the two that really, really stand out, I think, around that time. Okay. 
And uh, were you forced to start programming or you did it because of out of curiosity or other motivation? I think it was a bit of both. We had uh, some classes in uh, year nine, so um, when I was about 14 or so, where we learned the basics of designing a web page uh, using just some HTML. And I think it was Microsoft Front Page was the software we used at the time. So it wasn't really um, programming, we were just sort of clicking and dragging things onto a screen. And we did that as a subject in school, and I found that quite interesting. So I looked into how to get that working at home, um, and I used to go into into the computer in my lunch break and just play with the, the design a little bit more. And then, yeah, once I got it working at home, worked out how to do how to do it from there using the same program we had at school. And um, that really, I guess, got me interested in programming. Um, started off starting with that class and then, yeah, moving on from there. Mm -hmm. I also had to use front page because comp companies ask me about that. And what I was scared about, you know, the output. So if you took a look what actually front page generates, it is, uh, it is you cannot understand that. So I, th I thought, okay, like, you know, HTML is really hard to learn because the output of front page. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty terrible. Yeah. And um, so, but I mean, front page is not really programming. So what was your first programming language? So Yeah, the first one I learned was Visual Basic. I believe I learned that. I think I learned that at school as well. Um, and what really uh, got me into that was one of my friends in high school, um, he he was into it first and he knew a lot more about it than I did. And he, um, at the time, Pokemon, that uh, Japanese cartoon was mm -hmm. was uh, quite popular back in the, in the 90s or early 2000s. And he made this like screen or computer program at the time that was like interactive and showed you the different pictures and descriptions of these Pokemon. And I thought that was just really incredible how he could create software to do exactly what he wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and that really got me curious as to how it all worked. So I asked him to to make me one and then show me how it worked. And then I think I borrowed some books from school and sort of slowly learned how, how Visual Basic worked and the basics of, of programming, sort of writing code and variables and all that kind of stuff. And eventually built just some really tiny sort of Visual Basic applications on my computer. I don't remember what any of them were. I think they were just, just practice ones like calculator apps or something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess that, that was the real, the first real programming mm -hmm. uh, language that I learned. Um, it's not, I guess it's not really a programming language that's used anymore, but that was my first introduction to, yeah, the concepts of programming, which was, yeah, I thought quite exciting. I think Visual Basic is still around, no? Yes, yeah, you're right, it is, yeah. yeah I haven't seen it being used that much. It could just be um, where I've been at, but uh, yeah, it's, it still is around. So uh, I think we should do some research. I think even it could be, uh, you know, it could still ship with the um, Visual Studio tool chain from Microsoft even, I would say. Because what I could imagine that you yes. still, still automate, yep. you know, the office stuff with Visual Basic. I don't think they, they could just shut it down. It's amazing. Uh, lots of pro programmers actually started with Visual Basic. Yeah, it is. A few that I've worked with and spoken to started with that language. Yeah, okay, it's cool. quite common, I think. So um, what happened then? So you, you learned uh, Visual Basic. It was inspired by Pokemon, which is still a thing right now, right? A little bit with AR or, or, or yeah, AR yeah. experience. But uh, still, what was the next, uh, next uh, program you wrote? Uh, next from there, I think I got towards late high school and I enrolled in some of the, the more IT or computer programming classes. We got to late high school where we could actually choose the classes we wanted to do. And by then I was uh, pretty interested in computer programming. So I chose yeah, the IT subjects and they taught us uh, Java, I think it was, back okay. in around 2001, 2002. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because it seemed like there was a lot more you could do um, with Java at the time than what I'd had experience with doing. Um, and that was interesting. I found it was 
um, quite easy to, to learn the basics of, I think just because I've had that experience and I, I looked it up, I guess the programming concept sort of outside of school. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. I don't remember what we built with Java at the time. It might've just been whatever the assignments they gave us in school were, but yeah, it was, it was really interesting. That was um, yeah the next language I learned Java. It was interesting because I learned Java first and then had to learn Visual Basic. I forget why, properly. I don't know why, but for me, Visual Basic was really hard to learn if you know Java. Because you know, I expected like like the code first experience, and the Visual Basic was more like uh, UI first. So, uh, it, uh, and it was the same experience, by the way. Uh, I also was uh, had wanted to learn uh, fla Flash. I think uh, Flash programming, yes, was also very really hard for me because what I also expected, you know, to have a source code in one place, and and you had to know that in specific keyframes there was some you know hidden source code, which for me it was like you know I couldn't. I couldn't get why, right? So, um, and you, and this is amazing. So if you start with Visual Basic first and then you like Java. So I thought, you know, this is like uh, more problematic, but uh, yeah, probably 2001, I think it was JDK 1.2 or 1.3 or something like this, right? Yeah, that sounds familiar, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you stick with Java? No? What? Yeah, I did. I That was uh, yeah, year 11 and 12. So that would be in 2002, 2003. From there, I went to uh, university and did... Um, like a, a software development, computer science kind of course. Mm -hmm. The first part of that was focused on PHP. Mm -hmm. So I learned um, quite a bit about that. And there was also some components of Java as well. So I continued some of the Java through through university and also learned um, PHP. And that's uh, where I learned a little bit about, I guess, programming web pages that I hadn't really learned about since, I guess, those front page days and learning about databases as well because I think that was the first time I really got exposed to it. Okay. And uh, so you stick with Java and then PHP. What was the most impressive thing you wrote during your university time as a student? Do you remember that with Java? Yeah, I think, I think the thing I was most impressed with at the time was I think I had a lot of, a lot of files on a lot of different CDs. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I'd had like a, a box of them in my, in my desk and I had... I spent a lot of time trying to search through these different CDs to try to find files that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wouldn't it be good if there was a way that I could get a list of all of these files mm -hmm. and their file size and location and what disk they're on and put them in a list so I could just search them on the computer without having to, to swap all the CDs. Mm -hmm. So I wrote, I wrote a program that did that. I don't remember um, the details of how I did it. I think it just used, it might've just been a, a basic MySQL database and like a, command line Java program, but it was um, sort of solved the problem that I had. I, I sort of brought up the, the command line and I think I typed in, I don't remember what the command was, but typed in something to search and it showed me the file names that matched the search and what disks they're on, which was, um, which was pretty useful. It saved me a lot of time when I was yeah, looking for the right file on the CD. This sounds for me like sharding almost, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that, yeah. HCD yeah. <laughs> is like, you know, a cluster, a database in a cluster, and uh, it's part, uh, and you have, you know, the index outside, so you can, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, you probably use yeah. JDBC, MySQL driver, and command line just, you know, and simple Java app, right, with some command line. Yeah. Processing. Yeah. Yep. So and, uh, actually, um, we are back to that. I don't know whether you are aware. So there is a Java and GraalVM, and I these days I create a lots of small utilities with Java, the command line utilities, and they start really quick in 10 milliseconds, something like that. So uh, now, now cool. we are back to the time because what you can do right now, you can cross-compile Java to native code, and then what you get out is like, you know, 
uh, just a, a binary, a native image, which is directly executable, which is really useful. And back then it was a little bit harder because uh, with Java, you had to do, you know, this Java minus jar thing. And uh, now it's just, it feels like Go library or a shell script. Yeah, cool. That sounds interesting. Yeah. That's really handy. Yeah. So what, what happened then? So uh, after university, what happened? So you stick with Java still? I, I didn't stick with Java after university. Towards uh, As I got more into my university classes, I found more drawn or more curious towards the, the database subjects. Mm -hmm. uh, and I learned, I first learned uh, MySQL, mm -hmm. and then we learned a bit of Oracle as well. And I just found mm -hmm. uh, that level of database knowledge and, and what they were teaching is really interesting. So I did all the database subjects I could handle or the ones I could, that they offered in uni. And because I thought I was quite... Um, I thought it was quite interesting. So after I finished my uni degree in 2007, I was ready to start applying for jobs. Mm -hmm. And I thought my database skills were stronger than my, my Java or other, I guess, other software development skills. So I applied for some database development or, or database support roles. And then, yeah, I got my first job in 2007 working for a consulting company. And the first client they sent me to was to do maintenance and support on a database, database application or application that had a lot of their code in the database. So I could use those database skills that I learned in uni and, and, uh, and that kind of thing in directly into the job, which was good. Mm -hmm. Where was it, Sydney or was, was it in Australia? It was in Melbourne. So yeah, I've worked okay. and lived in Melbourne ever since then. Um, so yeah, down, down the south end of, of uh, Australia in Melbourne. Okay, and you grew up in a large city or? Yeah, grew up in, in the suburbs of Melbourne, okay. um, sort of 20 or 30 minutes out, out in the eastern suburbs. So um, yeah, went to uni out there, went to school there and then, yeah, my first taste of, I guess, city life was going into into the office um, okay. five days a week for the job in, in 2007, yeah. I, I hope you will answer, you know, I grew up with some ab Aborigines, you know, somewhere in the, in the woods and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I really enjoyed hacking, you know, at nights. This was all, uh, yeah, it sounds like Germany to me almost, you know, right? Uh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. What? What involves database maintenance? Are you the guy, you know, who creates, you know, the DDL scripts or you had, you know, to, to, to look after the table spaces or what was your job actually? Uh, back then it was partly making sure that the programs that relied on the database kept running and partly fixing, uh, I guess, bugs that had been discovered. There was a lot of manual processes that we had to do, like logging onto the FTP server and downloading a file and, and putting in a folder and running a script. Mm -hmm. these kind of things that would often be automated now, but back then it was quite manual. Mm -hmm. um, and we'd also have to resolve issues in, in the code that we were working with. Uh, there was, was working for a utilities company and their databases at the time, they ran all their business logic out of Oracle PSQL code, mm -hmm. which is like a procedural language inside the Oracle database. So we had to go in and, and find the issues or the causes of these bugs and develop a solution and test it and, and get it released into their um, yeah, testing and then production databases. So it was partly, yeah, fixing problems, partly developing solutions to, to bugs that have already been found. Mm -hmm. um, actually, the PLSQL language is pretty sophisticated. So they even have packages. It's almost, almost object-oriented, I would argue. And what I remember back then is um, there were books from an author called... I think Feuerstein or Feuerstein or something like this. Was you remember this? And 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 he yeah yeah Steve Feuerstein or Feuerstein yeah yeah Feuerstein yeah, exactly. There's a Feuerstein is like Firestone. This is a German name. So uh, this is ah. Feuerstein, and um, and he wrote uh, yeah I, I, I for Riley I think and and 
I was really fascinated by Oracle back then as a Java programmer because for me it was like uh, almost an operating system back then, you know. And I knew, knew some database administrator who spent lots of time optimizing and tuning the database. And I was all I was always curious what happens and what they are actually doing because I just accessed the database and they they were more like you remember the guy from Matrix, the architect. You saw the movie uh, Matrix. You know, the last yep. guy, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the architect, this was like, you know, the, the database admin somewhere in Ivory Tower sitting in a nice place and thinking about the databases, right? And um, Yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. And um, and how long you spent spend at the company? I was at that company for about nine years, and they were a consulting company. So um, they would send me out to a client to do, do some project work there. And that first client I was with for about three years. And then uh, once I was ready for a new role after that time, I moved on to a different client, but still with the same consulting company. So, um, yeah, I was about three years in that Oracle development um, support team. And then I moved on to a different role, um, different role after that, doing, I guess, a half business analyst, half uh, development role. And what development role means uh, PLS SQL development or what means development role? Yeah, that one was a mix of uh, SQL Server development work and what was actually uh, VBA. So the client there had a whole bunch of Excel spreadsheets that helped them do um, like pricing analysis work and they wanted to merge them all together into one big spreadsheet. And this was, I think this was around 2010 at the time. So uh, I tried to convince them that maybe having a big spreadsheet wasn't the best solution. Maybe they should go for something a bit more manageable like a some kind of web programming language on a server that a lot of people can access, but <clears throat> excuse me, they were, they were pretty adamant. They wanted to go the spreadsheet way. So um, yeah, I just went with what they preferred to use and sort of learned a bit more about how VBA and, and Excel work together using the knowledge that I learned years ago on Visual Basic and then yeah. yeah, did that. So developed, yeah, this really big spreadsheet that worked with the SQL server in the background to, I guess, load some data and let, let their, um, like pricing and sales teams uh, come up with uh, like good prices for their for their customers that worked for everybody. So that was yeah, that was a role that I was with for about three years, and it was yeah, it was a good good role. Have, um, did you have to uh, relearn your skills from Oracle to MySQL Server, or? Yeah, there was a little bit of relearning. I knew the basics because, uh, of course, a lot of the the standard SQL is uh, common across both Oracle and SQL Server. But I had to learn a lot of the SQL Server specific stuff. Um, which wasn't too hard because once you just learn the, the database fundamentals, it's, it's pretty easy to pick up mm -hmm. um, how things are different across databases, but you'd need a lot more experience to find out the little nuances with SQL Server. Uh, so it wasn't wasn't that hard overall. And there was a few of us um, in the team that were a bit more experienced. So that was good to ask them questions when I wasn't sure mm -hmm. or had, had some questions about SQL Server. So are you more the database developer or more like, you know, the database administrator performance tuner or what's your role actually? Probably more of a developer. Okay. I'm more comfortable designing databases and, and writing uh, scripts to do that and, and scripts to select data from databases. Um, okay. I know the basics of database administrators, but every project I've been on, they've always had a separate DBA. Okay. Um, and yeah, I've had people ask me, how do I get started in DBA or specific questions around, around administrator work? And um, yeah, I always point them uh, elsewhere or to other places or other people because yeah, I'm not, my knowledge on that isn't that deep. Okay. And uh, okay, so the, so you did first the Oracle job with PL SQL, then VBA with uh, Microsoft SQL, and what was the next yeah. assignment? Next one, I do next. The 
the Excel SQL Server job was half business analyst and half uh, development work. Mm -hmm. And the next role I went into was a little bit of the same. It was just a, a short-term role doing some Excel and SQL Server work for a different area of that company. And that, I was there for a few months and then it came up that they needed a business analyst full-time role. And I put my hand up for that because I'd had a few years doing that that kind of role in the first team. So I, at the time, I felt more more satisfied doing doing that work um, as opposed to sort of the Excel VBA stuff. So then I sort of moved full time into a intro business analyst VA role. I think that, that was around 2013 or so, mm -hmm. and that was yeah the same the same client. I was in that role for three years again as well. Yeah. Okay. So nice iterations, three year cycle. So until two. So um. Yeah. One question regarding database development, PL SQL. How you develop a database? So are you using Visual Studio Code or JDeveloper? Which tools you are using? Or, or, or do you have a code completion? I remember what I used sometimes. How, how it's called? It was not Frog, but similar. Um, there was a database tool, Oracle, a third-party tool. It was not called Frog, but... <laughs> oh, Toad? Toad, exactly. Toad, not Frog. Toad. Uh, J developer back then, and of course, the, you know, the PL SQL uh, terminal, how to call it, you know, this, this, um, and what I remember back then, this is what impressed me, because if you um, open the uh, terminal from Oracle, this PL SQL command line, how it's called? PL SQL command line, right? This is like, if you just open the... Web. Yeah, SQL plus or just, SQL, yeah, SQL, class, the, the SQL exactly. terminal or something. So my was odd, what, what yeah. all the developers did, they had, they had code completion. You could actually write SQL to customize the SQL plus, which was really impressive to me. So I watched them, you know, uh, hacking the, the stuff and there was the uh, loading and unloading and I was really impressed. I got this really cool stuff. And which tools did you use back then? I, I mean, how? Notepad or, 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 or how you wrote your stuff? Yeah, back then we used uh, SQL Developer, which was the tool, the free tool to provided by Oracle. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, shortly after that, I think the company transitioned to a tool called uh, PL SQL Developer, which um, was a paid tool. It was by a company called All Around Automations. Okay. And it was like it was a lot like Toad, um, from what I heard from the other more experienced developers. Um, but it was a lot cheaper and didn't have as many features. So I think the feeling at the time was Toad was like the, the top level tool, um, okay. had all the features, um, the best one to use. Um, but uh, the second best they felt at the time was this um, PLSQL developer tool, um, which we were using, which was quite handy. Um, and then, yeah, the Oracle SQL developer tool was the, the free version offered by Oracle. But I think it's changed a lot uh, and gotten better over the time uh, since then. And that's the main one that I use now for any Oracle work that I do. Um, but yeah, at the time it was those other two. It's the Java-based Oracle developer, right? This is the which that's right, yeah. yeah, where you can see all the tables. Okay, this is what I also know. And is yeah. Toad still around? Yeah. You know that? It is, yeah, it's still around. Uh, I think they still yeah bring out releases every year, every six months or whatever it is. It's still still around. I think it's still highly regarded by a lot of people that use use Oracle databases. But I think a lot of other tools have caught up, and companies might not be willing to pay you know these high prices for these tools when they can get um, similar value from the the free or other other tools. So, but yeah, Toad is still around. And are you using the JetBrains tool chain because they also have you know the uh, great uh, database uh, tools or um, you know the JetBrains? I forgot. Yeah, Data Grip. Data Grip, exactly. I use the yes. uh, Data Grip for various databases. Actually, they even support NoSQL. Uh huh. Are you using them as well? Or? Yeah, yeah. I I actually am. I started using them maybe three months ago. I did. I was doing some research into uh, different IDEs or SQL editors, and I was using quite a few different ones for different databases. And I was looking for one that worked on a Mac, 
and actually worked with a few different databases. And that um, data group by JetBrains was one that had a lot of positive reviews. So yeah, I purchased that and downloaded that yeah, a few months ago and I've been using it since then. And it's been yeah quite useful so far. It seems to be pretty pretty quick, pretty responsive and, and does yeah what I needed to do, which is yeah, pretty good. So you're using data group for Oracle development as well? Yes. And is it better than the Oracle developer, the free one? Or you I mean? Um, it seems a bit more polished, this, okay. the, the screen and the design. I haven't gotten into the features as much um, to really know if it's better for Oracle-specific work, mm -hmm. uh, but it's done everything I needed to do so far. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. And have you looked at Visual Studio Code, you know, the free editor from Microsoft? Because I, I, I guess there are some plugins from vendors to support database development. At least uh, what I already used, I just used you know, the SQL highlighting, and this was really decent. And uh, have you have you took a look at, at Visual Studio Code? I've had a quick look at it. Yeah, I haven't uh, haven't used that much because most of my my workers' databases is just with the database itself, and not so much with any um, any programming languages or, or software development outside of that. But I've heard that yeah, it's a lot more common for developers to use uh, like a an IDE for developing code with like some plugins or something that access the database instead of loading up something like SQL Server and Management Studio or or another IDE separately. So um, yeah, I haven't, but I've heard they're quite good. Because uh, I'm using it for for software development, JavaScript, HTML, Java, and uh, I, I I I think it should be also good for databases because what it does, uh, for instance, for Kubernetes or YAML, it it uh, sometimes it is able to auto suggest things based on metadata. So I would think that. Probably there are no, nice no plugins for databases where you get auto suggestion as well. So it would be uh, I would have to look at this because uh, it would be interesting. Yeah, I got the uh, spontaneous idea right now because usually I tend to buy tools to work with database. I also bought Postico, I think, for Postgres was called right. So I always use the more specific tools or data grip, but um, I never tried no with Visual Studio Code. But I think it should be also a decent support. My problem is I'm consulting mm -hmm. as well, and I cannot just go into a company and require all the developers to buy. Uh, tools, you know, because uh, at least in Europe, it can take time until the companies are willing, you know, to to uh, to confirm the spending or assign some budget to the tools, regardless how cheap or expensive the tools are. So if you find a free tool, you're always on, you know, on the bright side. Okay, nice. So um, we business analysts. So what you did as a business analyst? Yeah, in the teams I was with, they worked with worked with developers to. Um, to, I guess, update or create uh, create the software for the business team. So what I would do, I'd work with the developers and then the, the business team, like the, the pricing team or whoever else was internal, to understand what they wanted out of their software mm -hmm. and then, I guess, work with the developers to make that happen. So um, I guess the biggest project I was on at that time was to actually replace that big Excel spreadsheet that I'd helped create with a web-based tool. So that actually got got the approval and funding to go and build a proper proper web-based tool to do this all this pricing work instead of relying on the spreadsheet. So um, I was doing the business analyst work on that to speak to the team that used the tool and find out what they wanted and help help the, de the developers build build the tool, um, which was good. I enjoyed doing the doing the VA work, speaking to people and, and helping them understand their issues, as well as having the, the software developer background. Um, it was good to understand both the business users and the developers as well. Um, because a lot of BAs don't have their development background and it can be hard to um, understand that software side. So, yeah. yeah, that was mostly what my role was for a few years there. Why I'm asking, because I really had uh, bad experiences with business analysts. And as a consequence, as a developer, I really hated them. And I'll try, you know, 
to find a way to avoid contact with business or system analysts. What happens in my project as a developer, I ask, you know, business analyst a question and the business answer was always 80 or 90% of the time. I don't know the answer, but I will find it out. I'm back in two days, you know, and then <laughs> the business analyst walk away to the users, ask some question and I say, okay, what we should do? We should deliver the software as fast as quickly as possible. Then we are in direct contact, you know, with, to the user, and then we can skip the analyst. And regardless of what the analysts are going to say, we'll ignore him and go straight to <laughs> to the users. And this was my way, you know. And uh, th therefore, I'm asking. But I, uh, I, I think a good analyst is uh, is really um, uh, the problem was these analysts were external, and they had not, you know, the deep domain knowledge they should have. So the problem was they, uh, in one point of time, the developers knew more about the target domain than the analysts. This was the problem, because if they are forced, you know, to work with the software all the time, you know, because of the, you know, the, the thinking we have to do with if, else, all the logical stuff we are doing, you are forced to think more deeply about the domain than the analyst has to do, because the for analysts, it's just, you know, get a rough idea is often enough. To, so this is why I'm curious how you worked. So uh, were you, I mean, how often had you go back to the users and ask questions or were you able, you know, to, to, yeah, how, how this worked in your case? Yeah, that's a good point. I found that happened a lot with, um, with some of the people I worked with as well, because sometimes as an analyst, it can feel like you're getting in the way, especially if you're starting in a new role because you don't have all the answers. Um, and I guess the best way to, to avoid that and to become a better analyst is to, like you said, understand the problem domain and what the users are actually working with. So you can actually, answer the developers' questions when they ask them on the spot uh, and know the difference between the questions you can answer then mm -hmm. and the ones that you actually need to go and, and confirm, the ones you don't know the answer to um, and find out. And also being a good business analyst can, can be helpful, especially if you're working with the business users who often don't have time to contribute to the project or work with the developers or answer the questions to help be someone who's full-time working with the development team to answer the questions so they don't have to wait wait two or three days to get some time with someone that can answer someone, ask someone a question straight away. Mm -hmm. um, and also having uh, a bit of experience with development work, knowing the kind of questions to ask, ask of the users as well, mm -hmm. um, because you, can, you might be able to anticipate different scenarios that the developers might ask. So you'd ask the business users that in advance, go back to the development team and, and answer their questions and I guess help make the whole, whole team and whole project work smooth. So. Yeah, it comes with a bit of experience, but it's um, it's a role that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. What uh, could could work in projects? So this was my thinking back then. If the business analyst has developer background, you know, they should be involved before the project start to explain the users what is actually possible. Because the problem was the users expected things which were either too trivial or not possible at all. And then you know we wasted some cycles at the beginning of the project. But if the you know business analyst uh, would first with the proxy from development and talk with the clients and educate them, which is possible with our technology, what isn't. Um, and then, you know, what also could work, I think, if the business analysts have the power to be the proxy from from uh, from the users and it would just, you know, try to be, to drive the software developments, and this could also work. But if the business analyst in the middle, then it's a really hard job because then you are, will have, you know, to, you are forced to perform all the thinking we are doing as developers without writing code. And for me, it is more, I, I cannot do this. So um, if I write code, I'm far more specific than thinking in Word or, you know, on paper, because then I say, okay, I just think, you know, this is, first it's boring for me <laughs> because uh, there is no execution, no verification, no feedback. 
this is some curious know-how. It's a really hard job then, but um, which could be fun if you are no proxy of the user and you are allowed to uh, to make decisions by yourself and you know just try to use the software all the time and and pro provide you no know, uh, improvements. This is I think could be a great job, right? Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's why why I enjoyed it. Sort of getting involved in both sides of the of the system and of the team and um, and learning more about both sides. And yeah, it's what I enjoyed. Yeah, then I'm curious. So, what was your next job? Still business analyst or no more? Yeah, after that, I, I left the consulting company um, and the client as well, and that was late 2016. Okay. And uh, after that, I decided to do some uh, some contracting or freelancing work for, I guess, what you call it. I, I got a contract with the government agency doing nice. some business analyst work for them as well. Mm -hmm. They had a project where they were upgrading their, their Microsoft CRM tool to the latest version, and they needed a business analyst in there. So I got involved and worked with them for about two years mm -hmm. and finished that in 2018. Okay. 2018, 2019. 2019, yeah, that's when I finished that. And then you're still freelancer right now. Then I decided to go back into full-time consulting work. So I found a job uh, at another consulting company. So similar to the first one I started at and doing business analyst work, which is what I'm doing now. And that was yeah mid-2019. And I've been, been at that company now. Uh, up until now, and yeah, still with them just over a year, mm -hmm. doing some business analyst work, which is yeah, it's enjoyable. So then, why you ask me to write a statement on your blog? So what's what's the deal with your <laughs> blog? <laughs> yeah, how does that fit in? How does a business analyst get to write a blog about databases? Yeah. Um, so you've probably noticed over that time, over this time, I had moved slowly away from the development side, more into the BA side, but I still had that interest and passion in database work and development. So. I started started a blog and website um, maybe 2014 around that time, just writing about uh, my experiences and, and things with Oracle SQL, and uh, sort of slowly did that on did that on the side, and then that sort of evolved over the years and um, sort of grown as my experiences have grown with with SQL and all that database work that I've been doing on the side that hasn't really been part of the day job, and that's that's where it's at now. Okay, so I, that's actually a great idea. So that you are a business analyst, you know, for as a how to call it, by day, and uh, Oracle developer yeah. at night, right? So, and you. Uh, yeah, that's essentially it. Yeah. And this is uh, very important because I think if you spend too much time being business analyst, or in my case, it would be just you know plain architect. We uh, at one point of time we cannot talk to developers anymore. So, um, okay. So then you're writing a blog, and you found somehow me as a Java developer and asked me about my opinion about databases and what I I think what I what I answered is that. Uh, this is what I would like to talk with you is um, uh, you have to find, you have to think what is your master, you know, where the value is. Is the value in the database or is the added value in, in, in Java? So in my world is Java in software. And um, what I saw yep. project failing is where we had, you know, very powerful database administrator who was in charge of designing the database and really powerful Java architect who had wanted to have a perfect Java object and there was a huge time wasted because uh, having that is is really hard. You cannot do you know perfect normalized database and perfect object design in, J in Java because uh, as you probably know, if you have a highly normalized database, you will need a lots of you know joints and, and you have really fine grained Java objects which would probably lead you to poorer performance. So uh, what's your take on that? So um, I mean. Are you okay with that we say we will misuse your Oracle database as just, you know, file system? 
or you say no, the database always has to be, you know, highly normalized? Good question. I think it would uh, there'd be a balance between both. I think it would probably come down to the team's team's discussion and what they value out of the design and the system. Um, my preference would be to have the normalized database, but uh, I guess being a member of the team, I'd probably leave it up to I guess the final decision up to the team. And if they felt that going with the more um, more Java object uh, compatible design was the best way to go, then that would be be what I'd what I'd go with. Um, but yeah, my I don't have a lot of experience in that area, so I probably go with you know, with their opinions on that so yeah that's yeah. that's probably the approach i would take what what happened to me it was around 2001 2003 was huge project almost failed and there was the, the database back then was really powerful and he wanted to have everything normalized and uh, because he was so convincing we didn't question his decisions and the problem was for instance i remember we had lots of one to n relations uh, just because he wanted to have them because of the normalization and the uh, performance was v really bad and i don't know how it happened but there was a third person internal person who came in i was always external and we just questioned this and and then uh, we were allowed you know to to make the, to to uh, to roll back his decision and just notice one to one relations so we merged the one-to-one -one relations to a bigger table, and then we didn't have to you know to to have the relations on the database on the Java uh, J Hibernate back then or JPA, and this improved the performance a lot. And then we denormalized the database more and more, and then the huge the entire project was really successful. And then we could do whatever we liked, and it even worked you know twenty years ago. So uh, so I think, well, yeah. What's your opinion on that? So uh, I mean, um, or was it not? Was this guy not a real good database administrator? Because what I would do in one point of time, I would just, you know, uh, try to monitor the queries and see where the performance get lost and then suggest from the database perspective that maybe it is a good idea to merge, you know, the tables, right? Yeah, yeah that'd be my approach as well. Um, if there was something that, the, or an approach that someone was claiming was the best way mm -hmm. and other people were questioning it, then yeah, I think it'd be a good idea to question it like, like you or the, or the other person did. And um, maybe as well, yeah, running some performance tests against mm -hmm. that approach, or maybe even developing sort of a branch off the main main code base and using a different design and seeing how that might compare. Saying this is your design, it's performing like this, and and this is the, another design where we merge the tables together and it's actually performing better. Mm -hmm. So using some tests or some data or something to explain that there are other ways that that might be better. But yeah, I, I guess that that can be hard to convince people. Yeah, uh, I was just you know, curious because you are the database uh, developer, uh, business analyst, and uh, open-minded, and we have to chat, you know, to ask you, Rana, whatever I like. So, <laughs> and, yeah, sure. <laughs> another problem I saw with uh, database, not problem, uh, one of the reasons why you used NoSQL uh, a few years ago was not necessarily because uh, Oracle or the other database didn't scale. The problem we had is because the database is more or less type-safe, the DDL, it can take a long time, you know, your your update, your table management scripts can take hours sometimes. And what I heard at once, there was one uh, one developer at my workshop and he they developed a game and uh, the results of the game were stored in my SQL cluster and they say if they would change the major table, it would take weeks, you know, to update all the table. I never heard about that, but it's okay, that, that, that's really bad. So uh, it means because we are not able anymore to maintain the tables and you have, you have to take you know, the entire database offline, we were forced to either denormalize the table and misuse relational databases as NoSQL key value stores, basically, 
or we introduce NoSQL databases just because, you know, don't be that type safe and have faster updates. Have you saw something as, as like this in production as well? Or was it, or how you handled that, you know? How you handled the yeah, I've seen that with Yeah, I've seen that with most of the projects I've worked with and uh, where, yeah, the common common theme is the database changes or structural changes that, are, that the database take a lot longer than, than code changes because a lot of code changes can be done quicker um, and database changes need a whole different process to go through. Where uh, and there was one project I was on uh, last year. So as I was a BA, they were developing a database or an application that needed um, a lot of customization of the the fields and, and attributes by the users using the system. So they needed like a flexible schema, and they also needed really fast read time. So it was much more common to read the data than update the data. So they designed uh, a, a JSON or an OS, a NoSQL design as opposed to like a, a normalized MySQL database, for example. So that was something where they used uh, NoSQL in their design to, to yeah, overcome the issues that you might have with trying to update DDL. And another thing I've noticed is that the, the deployment processes everywhere I've worked have been quite manual and I read, I read a book a few years ago called Continuous Delivery, and that was, I don't know if you've read that or heard of it, and that was all about the concept of automating build and deployment. Mm -hmm. And that really, I guess, changed the way that I viewed software and deployment and thought that anyone who was doing this had a really big advantage. And one team that I was working with was doing this, and they managed to not only automate their code deployment and testing, but also their database deployments as well. Mm -hmm. Using, I think, Flyway, there was some uh, tool that has a way to automatically create scripts and deploy them and build them from scratch, and all the benefits you get from code as well. So, I think teams that try to automate their code and database deployments can have those kind of quick and easy DDL script updates as well to try and avoid that that issue of having to take weeks for for database changes. Uh, this is this this uh, this this tools we also are using. So uh, uh, there is a Flyway DB, uh, which is a German tool. As it was uh, the the committee is actually from Germany. So um, and there is the Liquid Base, mm -hmm. and the Liquid Base is more powerful. I, I don't know whether you heard about Liquid Base. What the Liquid Base does, it is able to abstract different database dialects. So we are prefer as of my project, we are preferring Flyway DB because it's direct mapping between you know SQL you have write and the SQL from database, and this is what you usually will get from the database people. And Liquibase provides more almost yep. like DSL. It is more powerful and therefore more magic, and we don't like magic usually. So um, what? But uh, the, the problem we still have if the database is big, the the uh, Flyway DB process takes too long. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, I can imagine it would be. I haven't had any experience myself in the details of, of Flyway. Um, I've heard of Liquid, Liquidbase as well, but I haven't used it. Um, but yeah, I can imagine that'd be a problem when database sizes grow quite large. Or, or forget about FlywayDB, just if you are the database administrator and you perform structural changes, this can also take one hour. Yeah, yeah, and I've been with teams that have had overnight deployments where they yeah. take the database down or, or do something and, and do their database deployment and testing, and, and it can take exactly. yeah one hour, two hours, eight hours. So yeah, yeah. It takes How time. How do you deal with that? Because the application is offline, then, right? Yeah, true. Um, if it was up to me, I'd uh, probably implement something that was mentioned in that continuous delivery book to have some kind of alternate server that was still keeping the application alive and, and develop or deploy the changes. Uh, like a mm -hmm. um, like if you've got the the backup server or the the, the yeah. B server 
yeah. online. You'd, yeah. you'd make the upgrade to the A server and then switch them over. Yeah. Um, something like that or, or some kind of technique that has minimal impact or minimal outage to the application and be able to still make your changes that you need to. Okay. And how you deal with uh, uh, rollbacks? So let's say uh, the Java guys, you know, we developers uh, found some bug and we will have to roll back out the changes. So for us, it's not a huge problem. So we just can roll back the commit, ship the new you know, Docker container or Kubernetes or whatever we have. But how did, are there any you know, tools in Oracle space, whatever, where it's really easy you know, to roll back to the recent state? Or what, do you have some, what, what are you doing usually in such cases? What I've seen teams do is most of the teams I've worked with use like a manual rollback script. So they have like their, their SQL script that would make the changes and then they'd have to create one that would undo the changes. So perform the DDL that would perform the opposite effect. And while they, after they deploy the change and then do some tests to make sure it's okay, if something goes wrong, then they would run the rollback script to reverse the change. Okay. And they would still have that script in case they needed to um, a day, days or weeks later. Mm-hmm. Ideally they'd use some tool um, I assume Fly, Flyway or Liquidbase would have a similar kind of thing where you could roll back to a certain change. Um, I think Redgate, another software company, has some tools that does similar things. Okay. I haven't used them, but I think that you'd use some kind of specialized tool, ideally, to so automatically roll back. there's nothing in Oracle, so something, is there some hidden Oracle functionality which does that? Uh, nothing that I can think of. Um, there might be something that's come out recently, but yeah. What we used back then, what I remember for development, is this like flashback or something? So we can roll back very quickly the entire database, but it was more for development uh, and it worked well. So we can could always you know roll back the entire database. And then what we also did, we ran Oracle XE in a Docker container, and then I can always you know, restart the container. But uh, I was more curious about you know what the serious Oracle projects are doing in pro- production. Uh-huh. Yeah, I haven't had any recent Oracle experience, and those yeah, they sound like they would um, those ideas would work quite well. Um, I know Oracle has a feature called additions, where you can have different maybe different areas of the database operating at the same time. But I haven't tried okay. that feature at all, so um, I'm not that familiar with it. Um, but yeah, flashbacks could work uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't had any recent, I guess, large scale production. Um, issues with that recently. What I also observe is uh, the, the Postgres gates actually more and more popular. I don't know what is also your your observation. So in my projects, uh, Postgres gets really big and um, regarding your know, JSON, what uh, Postgres is able to do, they have a JSONB. This is like the binary JSON support and they can even perform uh, queries. And on one startup project, what we did is we had a table with, uh, you know, um, which was type safe, let's say, let's say five columns. And the last column, with uh, was just the JSON column, and we dropped there whatever was not that relevant. But uh, we knew, you know, this is what was like if the user, there was like, you know, his, the user social links or whatever, which could change at any time, but it was actually pointless. And uh, this works surprisingly well. And recently I also found somewhere there's a common pattern, you know, to have uh, in, a, in a relation database, like one column which is less specific, or is this just the addition or metadata or how to call it extension column, right? I've seen it as well as well in some um, examples online, and that that team that I worked with that had that uh, the used that database to store the JSON structure that was needed to be high high read. I think they store that in PostgreSQL as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the good thing about those JSON columns in in the database these days, as opposed to having like just a large text field, is it automatically validates that you've got a, a valid structure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all kinds of other functions you can use in, in recent versions, which makes it makes it really useful for those extension columns and things you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And you're still using Oracle right now? Still Oracle? Shop? 
Yeah, mostly Oracle. Uh, on the on my website, I write uh, about Oracle, SQL Server, MySQL, and PostgreSQL. Um, for most of the the time, the website was active. It was Oracle, but I found that I was curious about these other databases, and they seem to be the most common. And I've had different experiences with which each of them over the years. So it's expanded to those. Um, so yeah, it's probably equal equal all four. But yeah, most of my history and backgrounds with Oracle. So what I really see as a Postgres is immensely catching up. So Postgres is like, you no, know, the big thing, uh, even bigger than MySQL. So in my world, you know, and so enterprise Java developers, so in my world, uh, Postgres becomes more and more dominant and also Oracle. So, and, and some projects use Microsoft uh, SQL and a very few projects, DB2, for instance, this is uh, mainly mainframes, I would say. And uh, so um, another question is, uh, what you did in project, what I see more and more, then we have one database or schema or whatever isolated part per microservice. So because, you know, the DDL changes are hard, uh, we try to, uh, to create smaller databases. And then, of course, we get the problems with uh, transactions and whatever, but we handle the transactions from the business perspective. Also, is this a trend which you also observe or is still, you know, one large database and microservices are picking from the large database part? So what's, what's your observation? Yeah, I've, I've seen that trend as well in the the client that I recently started working with about a year ago. They they started using this microservice architecture where yeah, they'd have different services and each of them would have their own database and they developed that work together really well. Um, that was the first instance that I'd seen mm -hmm. of that. Uh, only because before that, I was working for that government client that was upgrading to CRM, and before that was something else. So um, yeah, the current client I'm working with is is really using that. And it seems to be seems to be working well. I think they're a company that's moving away from Oracle and like these large larger companies towards PostgreSQL for some of their their newer projects as well. So yeah, I'm seeing that same trend as well. Okay, nice. And um, the next thing, what I also observe is you know um, you are aware of CDC change data capture techniques. So uh, this is in Oracle uh, no. Extreme Extreme tool is called in Oracle, and what it does is it um, if you write some something to a to a table. Uh, in the same transaction, uh, an event is created and flashed to, let's say, Kafka queue or something, to Kafka topic. And uh, so uh, the idea is that you get you know, the entire history of database outside of the database and the microservices are able, you know, to pick the data from the topic. Like uh, one interesting project for you could be Debezium, for instance, and does exactly that. And um, so what, what we are doing, you have a legacy database recently where, you know, per perform this change data capture. And then you can even replicate a data, let's say a database like, you know, your master Oracle database with, uh, let's say your less, uh, less uh, important Postgres database with a CDC, for instance. And um, this was also a nice workaround because in one project we couldn't change the uh, layout of the Oracle database and we replicate the data to our own database and then we can do whatever we liked, right? So there was not, not, not a huge problem. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'll have to have to look into that. It yes. sounds good. CDC, the um, problem CDC. with Oracle is uh, is the uh, licensing, because uh, you will need, I think, for Extreme the Golden Gate license, some, something like this. Uh, okay. And yep. uh, Postgres works out of the box, so there is a it's called I think logical decoding where you can hook into the um, Postgres engine where the events happen. Perfect. So uh, Ooh, last question. Good to know. Uh, how you found me actually because you are new, you're not a java developer and ask me one point of time you know to 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 write a statement for your blog and it's like who are you actually and i look at your blogs okay this yeah. is interesting 
and I would just write and you know whatever I know because I, I, I at first I thought I cannot contribute any, anything meaningful to your blog but then I thought okay at least I will write about the my opinion about what is the value for the project the database or or the software right good so yeah thanks again for contributing to that page I think a lot of people found that useful um, so I found I found you after coming up with an idea for that post where I wanted to ask some people who are more experienced with development if they had any advice for other developers working with databases. And I thought that if I was a, a junior developer or just another developer and, and open up a page that had opinions from, you know, 20 or 30 other people on different on their different experiences, I thought that would be useful. So then, um, yeah, I came up with that short question and I just did some research online and on Twitter for common um, common software developer blogs in a lot of different languages um, and then had the list and then, yeah, just okay. started going through the websites and, and seeing if they were... Um, think they were pretty good and then yeah just sort of sending emails and, and tweets to to people who ran those and, and yours was one that came up okay what is the title of the blog you've wrote uh, the title of the post you've wrote do you remember that uh let me just look it up now i think it was something like 27 software developers share their advice for working with databases because i read i read the the post and uh what i found interesting there were complete different or various advisors, right? From from very detailed to higher level. So it was really nice post because uh, you got, you know, a really wide range of different answers to the questions, which uh, which I found really entertaining because uh, mine was very high level and the others were really deep into the optimization weeds, right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people have had different experiences and work with different databases and languages. So there was quite a wide range of advice and i've read some of the comments on the post after i published it that people didn't agree with the advice uh, that some people gave as well so that was interesting that that's not commonly known things and some people don't agree with it but it's it's good to know um what people's thoughts were okay nice so uh, what, yeah. what is your blog what is your know the uh, audio of your blog it's databasestar.com database star mm -hmm. and do yeah. you have a twitter yeah, that's presence right. as well yeah i do it's just at database star um I try, I'm trying to be more active on there recently. I think occasionally I put up a post when I publish it, try to retweet other other uh, links and, and sites that I find useful. Um, I haven't been active on it a lot recently, but I'm trying to get back into it because it seems a lot of people in the development and, and database world are active on Twitter as opposed to other places. So yeah, yeah trying to get into it. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So uh, I will post, you know, put your blog to the show notes and it was really nice to chat to a Excellent. database uh, developer and business analyst, you know. So uh, I, I, I I invited my enemies, you know, to to the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you.